welcome to KaneCast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Managing Director with Kane Anderson Rudnick, and with me today I have Doug Foreman, CIO. Doug, thank you as always for your time and the insight you provide our listeners. Doug, the first quarter of 23 began with a carryover of strength in the recovery from the end of 2022. As we move into the tail end of the quarter, what we did see was markets began to sell off from concerns related to the banking sector. Doug, would you be able to provide our listeners with your perspectives on the first quarter of 2023? Well, after a horrendous two, 2022 where investors managed to sustain double-digit losses in both equities and fixed income, which is the first time in history that's actually happened, 2023 is off to a very good start. Uh, the S&P 500 up over 7%. And uh, even bonds have rallied up almost uh, 3% as measured by the Barclays Ag in the first quarter. It's been a difficult and choppy first quarter, though, overall for investors with a very uncertain outlook. Um, I feel like there's been three different years and three different months discounted by the stock market. We came into the year uh, 2023 where we were pretty convinced that investors had already discounted uh, a mild and or shallow recession, at least, in 2023. It was purely conventional wisdom by investors and even most businesses that it was a foregone conclusion that we'd have a recession in 2023. So our belief was all that all but a, a serious uh, downturn or more deep recession had already been discounted by the market in, you know, in 2022. So even if we got a milder, shallow one in 2023, it didn't necessarily mean negative things for the stock market going forward. So that's how we entered the year 2023. And I'd say in the month of January, there was a lot of strong economic data and the inflation uh, data cooperated coming down uh, a little bit sharper than what people had expected. And so we got off to a really strong start in the month of January. Also, there was a lot of tax loss selling and uh, December that abated in January. So you got a really nice return in January with a lot of double-digit returns across the board. But then February came along and we had a less robust data. Uh, the economy so showed some signs of slowing. Inflation was still a little bit higher than what people had hoped in the month of February. And so when the Fed came out and Jay Powell testified that, you know, we're going to hold rates higher for longer. And you saw the markets fall off, fall off and uh, give a little bit back of January's advance in the month of February. And so the market started to discount a soft landing as opposed to sort of a no landing that it was discounting at the end of January. So, and then March occurred and March happened and, and early on in March, we started to have a banking crisis and the really surprising and swift uh, demise of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank literally in a matter of a couple of days, it seemed like. Um, that created a lot of uh, concerns about um, a, perhaps a more deeper recession and systematic risks in the banking system, obviously, which is a risk and can spread and create all kinds of chaos in, in markets. And so you had a real flight to quality and really markets started to discount um, a hard landing in the month of March. You know, over the last two weeks to 10 days of March, you know, you started to see some stability as I think investors calmed down and we got a really swift reaction out of the regulators and, and um, in terms of, re, you know, repositioning Silicon Valley Bank and its assets and Signature Bank and its assets into, into more safer hands um, with, with some backstops and guarantees from the uh, FDIC insurance. So 
people are calmed down. I don't think we're out of the woods on the banking crisis, but I do think it's something we're going to continue to monitor closely. And I do believe that it is not indicative of banks in general uh, in terms of uh, uh, Silicon Valley particularly grew so much during a, a period of about two years that uh, created a lot of interest rate risk for them that, that really isn't present in most of the other banks that haven't grown anywhere near what Silicon Valley grew during that time period. So it's been a choppy, difficult quarter to say the least, but returns have been very good, largely because sediment coming in was so poor. Um, people had, you know, discounted the worst case and the worst case clearly wasn't happening in, in the first quarter. And I should add that businesses in general continued, even though their earnings are not robust, they continued to hang in there and do pretty well in a very difficult, choppy environment with, it, with the Fed. Doug, the Fed started the year with additional rate hikes to fight concerns related to inflation. The news impacting the banking sector seemed to slow down a lot of the pace and the momentum of these hikes, and now there is even commentary around the potential for a pivot and a reverse course. Can you provide your perspective on where you believe we are in the rate cycle and the likelihood of a pause or a potential reversal? So this banking crisis uh, obviously has created some more uncertainty for the Fed in setting interest rate policy. And the market really reacted swiftly to the to the consequences of this banking crisis by by the two year falling more than a hundred basis points from over five to slightly over four in very short order, and the ten year coming down from about four percent to about three and a half. Those are huge moves in the bond market in a very short time period. So the market, you know, voted pretty clearly that this was going to be deflationary uh, in its impact on the economy, and the economy was already weak, and this would increase the likelihood that the Fed was close to or already done raising rates. And I should point out historically that when we have financial accidents and crises like this, it typically has marked the end of the uh, interest rate cycle for the Fed on the way up and at least institutes a pause, if not a decline in or a pivot uh, to lower rates at some point in the future. I do think even before Silicon Valley Bank, the Fed was close to uh, peak interest rates uh, on a short-term basis. We've had an inverted yield curve for quite some time. We still have an inverted yield curve, although still not quite as bad as it was uh, before the uh, banking crisis. And that inverted yield curve tells you that the market's opinion is in no uncertain terms that the Fed should back off on short-term rates at some point in the future. It's not natural to have an inverted yield curve for an extended period of time. Now, obviously, what the Fed needs to see in order to really bring rates down and stop raising rates is an improvement in the inflation data. And we've been getting that, but the pace of it has been a little bit slower than what people would have expected, I think, this quarter. But it's still headed in the right direction. And absent some major energy shock or some other external factor, I do think that in inflation is going to continue to, to decline year over year. Doug, lastly, there's continued talks about concerns related to a recession as we move deeper into 2023. What is your perspective on this and how do you see markets reacting? The odds of the recession have clearly gone up given the banking crisis that we've seen and the uncertainty that that creates about lending and lending standards as we move forward. Although it is important to point out that, you know, banks and lending has been weak even before the crisis at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank because of the inverted yield curve that really puts a screeching halt in, in lending um, to begin with because banks aren't going to borrow at, say, 4% and make loans at 4 or 5 and take credit risks. There's just no spread in that and, and that's not going to happen. So I do think the banking crisis has 
created a situation where the odds of a more deep recession, which is really the risk as we move forward into 2023 and 2024, has gone up. Uh, but I still think it's a low probability outcome and event. And the key reason for this is the simple fact that businesses and investors are not ebullient uh, and haven't been for quite some time. Uh, typically, deep recessions are triggered by um, just the opposite feelings on the part of businesses and investors. Businesses are usually planning for a very robust demand outlook. They think business is going to be booming. They're building inventories. They're hiring people. And then suddenly something happens that creates a, a downturn in demand that they weren't expecting. And managements and businesses have to retrench. They have to uh, fire workers and reduce inventories and reduce capacity utilization at their plants. Their earnings go down 15, 20, 30, 40% as this happens temporarily. And there's a major dislocation in the, in the outlook of their business. And same with investors, they're typically expecting very great results and then the stock market starts to turn down in response to the poor earnings and, and things get uh, very messy and you, and you enter a bear market. We've already been in one for almost 18 months now in reality. So, you know, and businesses, like I said, are not planning for robust demand by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, quite the opposite. You're seeing layoffs across the board in many areas of the economy. Housing and technology in particular are actually already in a recession, I would argue. But the reality is a deeper recession from here, uh, I think, is hard to engineer given where expectations are for on the part of businesses and on the part of uh, investors. So it doesn't mean it's impossible to happen. It just seems like a low probability event and a bad bet. So we're going to continue to stay fully invested by quality companies that we think can perform well in good and bad times and uh, keep focused on in the micro, which is a little bit easier for us to figure out right now than what's going on in the cross currents uh, of the economy. And, you know, for investors, you know, when you get a murky short-term outlook like this, it's really important to stay focused on your longer-term investment objectives, you know, either building towards retirement or living well in retirement, and keep your eye on that ball over time, and uh, don't worry too much about what's happening short-term. So thank you for your trust and confidence today. Doug, as always, thank you very much for the time and your insights, and we look forward to future conversations. You have just listened to KaneCast, hosted by Jordan Greenhouse. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. For more of our investing insights, head over to our website, www.kane.com. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rednick Investment Management. This material is provided as a matter of general information and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast or research. The opinions expressed herein are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the opinions of CAR or its affiliates, are current as of the date and time of the recording, and are subject to change at any time due to changes in market or economic conditions. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by CAR to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive. CAR does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. This communication should not be construed as an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. To the extent any performance is discussed, past performance is not indicative of future results.